Amen. Well, uh, I know this is the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, and um, I have to say, I do feel that push. There's that push to kind of dive headlong into the Christmas season, right? Do you know that push? I think the push actually started in October. Like, you know, Halloween, there's like this push, push, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And um, I want to just ask that we hold off on that for one more week and that you would linger here this morning with me on a, on a Thanksgiving theme. Um, and, and I want to talk about this aspect of, of giving thanks to God, not just one day a year, but this ongoing um, gratitude attitude um, that we all know at times it's easy to do that and other times it's a bit of a challenge. To be grateful. And the reality is, is that our God is a gracious God. He has been and he continues to pour out grace on each of our lives in all kinds of ways. And because that is the kind of God that he is, gratitude is the ongoing default disposition of the Christian life. That attitude of gratitude. Life is meant to be lived in this ongoing response of of just thanking God ongoing um, for all the ways that he's blessed, blessed us, for all the things that he has done and he continues to do. But I don't have to tell you, uh, that kind of grateful response can sometimes be a challenge, and it can be a challenge for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes it's because of, instead of looking up to God and being grateful to him, we start looking around at others and we start comparing ourselves to them. Like, how does what I have compare to what you have, right? And you probably know that when that happens, nothing good typically results. Envy sets in, and gratitude can quickly turn into grumbling. Uh, Have you been there? Maybe you've been there this morning, before you came here this morning. Um, You know, it's just that attitude of like, why don't I have what they have. Why is it this way for me and it's that way for them? Why hasn't God blessed me the way he blesses them? And, you know, the problem is never that God has not been gracious, but sometimes is that he isn't always gracious to all of us in the same way. And, and that's where the rub comes in. And the question is, what do we, what do, we do with that? How do we navigate that? And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. It's a parable about generosity, about gratitude, and about grumbling. And uh, just to give you a kind of a a layout of what a parable is, a parable um, is a pretend story that teaches a profound truth. Jesus told a lot of these parables. He told them to help us wrap our heads around what life under his rule and his reign looks like. And and they show us that that life with Jesus in charge, it doesn't always go according to our expectations, according to our assumptions. And, And there's these assumptions that we carry around about this is the way it ought to be, that when Jesus takes charge of our life, we have to leave those at the door. And the parables, they point out what some of those are. And every parable uh, has a few key characters in them. And what's 
what you can do is you can actually locate yourself in the parables. You can say, which one of these characters best represents me and, and my attitude? And every parable also has a punchline because what you'll see is that when you're reading these parables, like they very seldom go the way you'd expect them to go. There's, there's like these plot twists that are unexpected. And when you see that punchline, that plot twist, that's, that's where the point is. That's what the point of the parable is all about. And so, and so Matthew chapter 20 uh, is this parable Jesus told about a generous landowner. And he hires laborers to work in his vineyard throughout the day. And you hear that and say, okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a win-win, right? You know, the owner has work that needs to get done. And the laborers need work so they can get paid and they can put food on the table that night. It's almost like, you know, this is economics 101 playing out. But, but at the end of the day, this landowner does something that sets off some of the laborers. And they end up grumpy instead of grateful. And so we're going to read through this. We're going to read through this parable. And then we'll go back and process it together. So uh, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last and worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. All right, so that's the story. That's the parable. And let me ask you, what do you think? Right? How did that story hit you? Honestly, I think if I can admit it, there's, there's something about that story that I... I'm not crazy about it. It's a little prickly, right? You know, my, my gut reaction is to hear that story and say, that's not fair, right? And of course, we already saw that's the point. That's the punchline. What it's getting at is that when we're talking about topics like grace, like generosity, we've 
entered into this arena where the subjects are by definition not fair. That's what they are, right? And, and that's, that's the rub, that's the challenge when we find ourselves on the receiving end of someone else's generosity. The truth is we're just not in any kind of position to weigh in on, on how that generosity ought to be deployed. Sometimes we think we are, um, but we're not. Or I, I think I say it this way, and this might be the main point of this entire morning, is the grace of God cannot be regulated. It can only be received. That's, that's the point he's trying to make. The grace of God cannot be regulated, but it can be received. And that's part of the challenge of grace. Grace is great on one end, but it's a challenge on another. But grace, by definition, is getting what we don't deserve, right? And, and God is outrageously gracious, so in this story, he would be the wealthy landowner, and he pours out grace on all of our lives. And he doesn't do it because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it. He, he does it because he wants to. Because if you have earned it, if you deserve it, then it's no longer grace, right? So if we start talking about, well, I think I deserve grace, you're not talking about grace anymore. Grace is, by definition, unmerited and God is gracious simply because it's in his nature to be that way. It's, it's just who he is and it's what he does. And so here's what that means. It means that God is going to be as gracious as he wants to be in whatever way he chooses to be to whoever he wants to be. See, his grace extends to everyone but not always in the same way. And so the challenge for us is to respond with gratitude for the amazing grace that he's poured out on our lives. And that starts turning into a challenge when, when we take our eyes off of him and start looking around at others and start comparing. The moment we start comparing, envy starts sneaking in and unchecked envy will steal away gratitude and turn us into grumblers. And so that's the challenge that's pointed out in this parable, that we have to work through that grace cannot be regulated, it can only be received. And it leaves us all with a, with a very personal decision to make, a choice to make, that we get the choice to identify ourselves. Either we'll be the grateful workers or we'll be the grumbling ones. And it's all dependent on the attitude that we take. It depends on what we choose to focus on. Are we going to focus on the amazing grace of God that he's poured out on my life? Or, or are we going to focus on how what I've been given compares to what someone else has been given? Right? So here in this story, the, the workers who put in a full day's work, they end up walking home with the same wages as those who only worked an hour. And, and they thought they'd been gypped, right? They, they expected some kind of proportional payout, right? We worked 12 hours, and so since that's the case, we're entitled to 12 times the amount of those who only worked one hour. It's, it's what's fair. But then when that doesn't happen... We've come to the punchline. This is the spot that sets us off. And, and what Jesus is getting at is that this is, 
This is the way the kingdom of God rolls, right? This is something to expect. We have to come to grips with the unmerited grace of God. And so what we learn here is a few things. One is that God is generous to everyone, right? So, so here in the kingdom of God, we all get more than we deserve. And so if you look at the story, the story begins with a number of labors who needed work. And did you notice that every time the landowner finds someone who's willing to work, he hires them every single time. That is the predominant storyline. It's the thread that runs throughout this entire parable. There's not a single time he turns anyone away, even though he doesn't have to hire them. He's not obligated to hire them, but he keeps on doing it every chance that he gets. And of course, this would have been in the first century, Roman Empire, right? So this is a time when, when most people, 99% of the population, they lived day to day, right? They didn't have a lot stored up, and they relied on the, pay, on, the, on the wages they earned each day to buy food, to put dinner on the table that night. So back then, life was pretty simple. If you didn't work that day, you didn't eat that night. And so that opportunity, I can work, that would have been something they would be very grateful for initially. And that's the way God is in our lives as well. He gives all of us more than we deserve. There's so much that we just can't take credit for when it comes to what we actually enjoy and have in our lives. And there's this myth that we are self-made people. Like, nobody helped me. I did it all myself. No, you didn't, right? That is not any of our stories. Um, You had no say in where you were born, you had no say in what family you were born into. You can't take credit if you, have been, if you were born with a high intelligence. That's nothing to do with you. If you've been given educational opportunities, you didn't do anything to earn that. Uh, all of these things, these are all things we've been given. Now, we can take some credit for what we do with what we've been given, but that's a different parable. That's not this one. This is, this is making a different point. And the same... The same applies when it comes to God. No one gets right with God because of what they do. You can't earn God's acceptance. It's grace. It's a gift you receive. The only reason anyone gets right with God is because of grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let me explain to you what that means. It means like an Olympic gold medal long jumper is in just as much need of a bridge in order to cross the Westchester-Rockland divide of the Hudson River as I am. Now, I may be the worst long jumper in the world, right? An Olympian Olympian may be able to jump 10 times farther than me, but guess what? It's not going to help them. It's not going to help them get from Westchester to Rockland County. We are both equally in need of a bridge, whether you call it the Tappan Zee or the Mario Cuomo. You need a bridge. And just like them, it doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done. You need a bridge to get to God. All of us do. And that bridge is Jesus. 
He died on the cross to pay for our sin, to be that bridge that reconciles us and makes us right with God. And he did it not because we earned it, not because we deserved him to do it. He did it only because he is gracious, because that's what he wanted to do. So the only way, the only way anyone makes it to the inside of God's kingdom is because they've, been, they've, they've responded to God's outrageous grace, what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, the way we say it around here, uh, one of the phrases you'll hear often is that salvation is received, not achieved. It's a foundation of what the gospel is all about. And, and I can't help but just stop and ask you, have you responded to the gospel? Have you received that gift? Have you responded to the grace of what Jesus has done for you to reconcile you and make you right with God? Like, no, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. You Don't miss the point. It's not about doing your best. It's about responding and receiving the gift. Welcome to the reality of amazing grace. It's a whole different way of existence. So far, so good in many ways. We like that part, but, but there's also the part that starts to challenge us. God, I am okay with you being as gracious and generous with me as you want, but just don't be more gracious. Don't be more generous to them than you are with me. Right? That's, that's when the problems start. You know, there's something, I don't know, it's in me, and maybe it's in you too, that it believes that I set the standard for the way things ought to be, for how things ought to go. Like, I am quite sure in my mind, which is a scary place, that I set the standard on frugality. Okay, so here's how it works. Anyone who saves money on something I'm willing to spend on, that person's not frugal. They're cheap, okay? <laughs> and, and anyone who spends money on what I would save, well, that person's obviously indulgent, right? Uh, of course, the same applies to politics, right? Points of view. Mine is obviously the view that makes complete sense and... You know, this is the box of what's rational. I, not, I lie right in the center. And anyone who is outside of that box is just ridiculous. At least that's what they tell me on Facebook. Um, so this is, there's something in us that gets set that way. And we can bring that expectation into our walk with the Lord. That we, want, we want God to be as gracious to others as he is to me, but... But how about when he's more gracious, more generous with them than he is to me, or in different ways? That's the gut check. That's when things start getting dicey, when, when instead of feeling gratitude, right, you know it, like these feelings of being gypped, they start welling up inside us. Did I just get a raw deal, right? That's envy. Envy rises and we can't let it go unchecked because here's the reality that we're seeing in this, in this parable. It's not about me, it's about him. This is not about me. We are not in the center of the universe. It's, it revolves around him. God is going to be as generous as he wants to be in whatever way he chooses to be. And here's the thing, he doesn't wait for us to give our stamp of approval, right? Right? 
He doesn't ask for permission when he leaves the 99 and sheep and goes after the one, right? And he didn't apologize for welcoming home the prodigal son and, and throwing the party of the century for his wayward child. Welcome to the kingdom of a gracious God. You can receive his grace, but you cannot regulate it. It just doesn't work. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah and the whale is a great story you probably heard a few times and is this incredible story of grappling with grace. That's really what it's about. Jonah is just continually, he cannot come to grips with a God who is as gracious as the Lord. So God calls him, go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the last place on earth Jonah wanted to go to. He hated the Ninevites. And so he runs away. He goes through on boat. He gets swallowed by a giant fish who God actually sent to save him and, and to rescue his life. And then finally, after that, he reluctantly goes to Nineveh. And this is kind of crazy. Like, he preaches one sentence. Here, this is it. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is the extent of his fire and brimstone message. And out of that one sentence, revival breaks out. The revival of the century breaks out. The Ninevites repent. They, they tear their clothes. They get, on their, they get on their hands and knees. They fast and they repent of their ways. And, and God saves the city. And this is, this is the incredible grace of God in, in action. Problem is, as a result of this incredible display of grace, Jonah is miserable. He is so miserable that God would be gracious to those people who didn't deserve his grace. He didn't like those Ninevites. He's so fed up that he wants to die. And he actually says this, he says, God, I knew you'd be gracious. That's the reason why I ran away from you in the first place. And I just can't deal with the way that you're gracious. And at the end of the story, if you go back and read it, you'll find out that at the very end, he still hasn't come to terms with it. He's still grappling with the grace of God. And there's a chance that some of us here this morning are in that same place. We're still grappling with the grace of God, and it's manifesting in this griping and just being dissatisfied. So when the first workers here in the story, when they don't get what they expect, the landowner he doesn't apologize, but he does explain. And I love that he addresses them as, as friends. He says, friend, let me explain to you what's going on. And I think that's a reminder of how patient and gentle the Lord is with us, even as we wrestle with, with grace. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't chastise us. He, he explains, this is what he's doing, and it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with him. He says, you got exactly what we agreed on. But I've made a decision. I've chosen to be generous to them. I chose to give others what they didn't deserve, that they hadn't worked for, because it's what I want to do. Can you be okay with that? And Jesus says, this is, this is how the kingdom of God works. If you're not okay with that, you're not going to fit in here. We can receive his grace, but we can't regulate it. And so Jesus is telling the story to his first disciples, 
right? They're sitting around, they're listening to that. What, what would that meant to them? Um, you know, they were the first to follow him. They, they left everything. They were there from day one. But a few years later, this scoundrel named Saul was going to come on the scene. And, and Saul's life mission was to exterminate the Christ followers, right? And he was doing a pretty good job of it. He, he arrested them. He even executed them. And, and all that changed the day on the Damascus Road where the resurrected Jesus met him, confronted him, hijacked his life, and turned it on a complete 180 in the opposite direction. And God poured so much grace onto his life that he ends up on the short list with them, the original disciples. He is a capital A apostle. This guy who killed Christian ends up even writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And if you read Paul's letters, you see it time and time again. He just cannot write more than a couple of paragraphs without coming back to the grace of God because he's experienced it in such a profound way. He knows he is the product of the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, Paul's story was a story of grace. And it's just like your story. And it's just like my story. The only stories God writes are stories of grace. Undeserved gift, generosity poured into lives. The only question is, do we know it? Or do we get to this place where we feel like we are more deserving of God's grace than someone else? The litmus test is, the gut check is how we respond when, when we see God pouring out his grace on the lives of others. Can we celebrate it without being resentful? We're either going to be grateful or we're going to grumble. And it has everything to do with the attitude that we assume. Because it's, it, it's amazing, at least in my life, how quickly my attitude can change. One minute, we can go like feeling like, oh, we've been blessed. Everything is good. And the next minute, it'd be like, I am getting gypped, right? The, the workers here in this story, they are more than happy initially to have work. They were happy to be able to work all day. But the minute they see someone who worked less getting paid the same amount, they're miserable. I'm getting a raw deal, something we can all attest to. And here's what I found in my life is that there are always people around us that if we choose to compare whatever it is with them, we're going to feel like we got the raw deal. It's just the reality. This is the way life is. Whether it's true or not, it's a whole different story because we only see these small little snippets of people's lives and we assume that that applies to their entire lives. But the moment we focus on that, the moment you just take out the ruler and start measuring my life against someone else's, guarantee it, gratitude will turn into grumbling. And I think it's at that point where the Lord asks us the same question the landowner asked the workers. Are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? 
don't let the grace of God turn into a breeding ground for envy in your life. It can happen. It does happen. But when envy goes unchecked, it destroys. So just refuse to compare. Right? Drop the ruler. Stop measuring yourselves against others. And we know that comparing just cripples our lives. And so instead of grumbling, cultivate a response of gratitude. When you see how good God has been in someone else's life, celebrate it. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, and then let that be the springboard for thanking him for the things he's done in your life as well. Psalm 18, 5 and 6 says this, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's one of my life verses, just cultivating contentment. I think this is like the anthem of the Christian life, contentment, because God is pouring out blessings. Is everything great? Is every area of life the way I would like it to be? No, it's not. But I'm not going to let that destroy what God is doing. I'm not going to let that take my eyes off of the good things that God is doing. God is gracious. He is generous to you to me in all kinds of ways, receive it without regulating it. So right now, today, there are so many reasons. There is no shortage of reasons for this constant flow of gratitude to be pouring out of our lives, every one of our lives. The challenge is to be aware of them, to not be distracted to not be looking around, but by looking up with thanks. So what would cause God to give us what we don't deserve? What would cause him to, to give us so generously what we haven't worked for? It's his heart. It's part of his very nature. He's looking for ways to express his generosity, and he loves to pour out his grace audaciously. And nowhere is that seen more clearly than at the cross. If you're looking for the place where the generosity of God springs forth, where gratitude can well up, you can look no farther than the cross where Jesus went. He left his throne in heaven. He, he became poor, took on the form of a man, went to the cross and died for you. That's what God has done for you. If that's the only thing he's done for you, man, there is still a lifetime of gratitude that can pour out of that. But he's done a lot more than that, hasn't he? He's done a lot more of that for your life and for my life. Let's respond. Let's respond with gratitude. Let this, this spring of gratitude continue to flow out of our lives. Pray with me together. Lord,